Welcome to Have You Heard, the AABP podcast. My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich. I'm the executive director of AABP. And today we're going to talk about an initiative from AABP. It's our Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Task Force. And we're going to talk to some leaders in this space. And I'm going to have each one of our guests introduce themselves to you. And we're going to start with Dr. Jen Roberts. This is Dr. Jen Roberts. Thanks for having us on the podcast today. I am an AABP member and currently serving as the chair of AABP's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Task Force. I am also a professional services veterinarian for Beringer Ingelheim in my professional life and um, working with our dairy cattle team. Thanks, Jen. Our next guest is Dr. Mia Carey. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me here today. Um, As you heard, my name is Dr. Mia Carey. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I serve as CEO and change agent for Carey Consulting, and I'm also honored to serve as the CEO of the Pride Veterinary Medical Community, and I'm based here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Thanks, Mia. And our last guest is Dr. Kemba Marshall. Kemba, go ahead. Hello, hello. Thank you for that, Fred. Everyone, it's a pleasure to be here. Again, my name is Dr. Kimba Marshall. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I serve as Director of Veterinary Services at the Land Lakes Purina Animal Nutrition Center. Also, I have had the delight and pleasure of serving with Fred on the AVMA, AAVMC, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Commission. Well, thanks so much. And we're going to kick it off here. I'm going to start with our first question, and I'm going to turn it over to Jen uh, to continue on this podcast. And and first, Jen, I think one of the most common questions we get from AABP members is what does DEI stand for? And then why did the board create this task force? So um, DEI stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. When you look at some of the data out there um, on the veterinary profession, the Bureau of Labor Statistics show that about 90% of all veterinarians are white. So it is one of the least diverse of the healthcare profession. ABP wanted to look at this is so that we could look at our own organization and um, first of all, collect some data on diversity, equity, and inclusion with organization. And we wanted to try to identify some ways to foster an inclusive environment within ABP as well as look at some action steps that we as an organization can do to address specific goals and challenges related to diversity, equity, and inclusion in large animal practice and in rural practice. Ultimately, our goal is to be able to recruit and retain a diverse group of new graduates who want to stay in rural practice. And so, uh, part of the task force's charge as well to look at some of those issues that might be impacting, um, you know, whether there are any issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion that may be impacting um, recruitment to our area of the profession. So yeah, Mia and Kemba, I would just like to, again, thank you very much for joining us today for this podcast. And um, the first question I have for you, you know, I mentioned that it's um, veterinary medicine is one of the least diverse of the healthcare professions. Um, you know, why is that important? Why does that matter? Hey, yeah, Jen, thanks for that. Um, you know, when I think about this, the first thing um, to your point is we know that from the Bureau of Labor and Statistics that our profession is one of the least uh, diverse professions that we have in our country. Um, the other thing that I always hearken back to is I go back to our veterinary oath. It's the oath that we all took, you know, maybe years ago, maybe days ago. Um, But, you know, just to to give you the the first sentence of that, you know, being admitted to the veterinary, to the profession of veterinary medicine, I solemnly swear to use my scientific knowledge and skills for the benefit of society. So when we look at our veterinary oath, the first thing that we key in on is the benefit of society. And when we talk about society, I think it's critically important that the society that we are thinking of is reflective of our general population. 
And then when I think specifically about why it matters for organizations like AABP, um, we're, we're an organization. An organization is only as strong as its membership. So, you know, if you're in an organization and that membership is either flat or declining, literally the existence of our organization is tied to our membership and tied to really wanting to be an organization that is going to be well sustained, um, you know, for a very long time because there's such critical work that's being done by bovine practitioners. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Kemba. And I think, you know, that idea of mirroring our society is so important. And whenever I think of a question like, Jen, you just asked us or something similar, I always think of one word, and that is relevance. You know, if we want to be relevant to our members, our clients, our customers of today and tomorrow, um, these are the things we need to be talking about. Yeah, I think those are all really excellent points. Um, you know, it's it's the start of a new school year. Um all of our future colleagues are getting started their first year of veterinary school or continuing on with their, their next years. And I saw a post last week from Michigan State University, um, their incoming class, the class of 2026, has 45 students that are first generation attending college, and they have 31 students from underrepresented minorities in veterinary medicine. So with that in mind, why is it important? organizations such as ABP or AVMA to collect demographic information about their membership? I think those stats, Jen, that you just shared are remarkable. And I think it, it really matters because we need to understand what matters to those that we serve, right? So we can deliver on what they're looking for. And I always think about if you can visualize that pie chart of all the knowledge that each of us are aware of and all of the knowledge in the world you can think of that little piece of the pie that the things that we know we know, the piece of the pie, the things we know we don't know, and then the huge part of the pie that, that are the things that we don't even know that we don't know. So if we're not collecting this information, then how can we possibly know the makeup of our members and then start to think about what's really important to them and how to best serve their needs? So I think in some ways it ties to what we were just talking about with your first question, but it's also just to understand and be able to create value for those that we serve at the end of the day. Yeah, I'll just add on and, and of course, ditto to everything that Mia just shared. But when we think about the number of um, students who are going into veterinary medical programs, and then when we contrast that to the number of veterinarians who upon graduation say that I'm going to enter a field of mixed practice food animal practice, bovine exclusive practice. Um, I go back to, again, the organizational health of groups like AABP. And I think it's very helpful. We're we're veterinarians, so we want data, we crave data, we're we're in and around data every day. And as we think about that, you know, there, there are some expectations that we should have, some hopes that we should have about the number of students that are coming into uh, veterinary medical colleges and universities, and then the numbers of our colleagues who are also then going to be able to service our um, our clientele, you know, those that are that are focused in the bovine practitioner world. So I think those demographics, again, are just another data point that allow us to ask the question as a profession when we think about bovine practitioners, are we able to meet the needs? Are we able to highlight our particular profession as one that should be attractive and relevant to to new graduates. So would you say that gathering that demographic information, could that also give us, um, you know, is it kind of like benchmark, a benchmark or a baseline for us to be able to, you know, as we're thinking about trying to um, put some efforts to increase diversity, equity, and inclusion within our various organizations, does collecting that information really give us a baseline to show where we start and then to be able to say we're making progress? Jen, absolutely. You know, when, when we have that that data regarding demographics uh, of the AABP membership, not only is it helping us understand where do we sit today, but I think you also have to layer in where are communities where there are needs for bovine practitioners? And it, you have to say the whole sentence, right? You have to understand where bovine practitioners are today demographically, and then also where are the animals 
the, the herds of animals that we need to provide care for. And just like we want to understand the demographic um, demographics of, you know, cattle producers, uh, owners, we also want to understand that same information for those who have dedicated their lives to the practice of bovine medicine. It makes me think of that phrase that I'm sure we've all heard and maybe used is what gets measured gets managed or where we can actually focus our energies and see what progress we're, we're making. So if we want to, as we talked about earlier, create a, you know, a more diverse profession that mirrors a diverse society, we've got to see how we're doing, right, and measure that progress. And the only way we're going to be able to do that, Jen, to your point and to Kimba's to yours as well, is to see where we are today and then measure that year on year moving forward. So, you know, we're talking about three components here, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, diversity, and diversity doesn't equal inclusivity, right? So um, why, you know, how are those words different? And why is it important for veterinary associations to make sure that all members feel included? Yeah, great, great question. I'll take that one first, Jen. So when, when I think about diversity, I am thinking about, um, you know, the, the obvious things that we all think about when it comes to diversity. When we think about um, things like ethnicity, when we think about um, genders that have been assigned at birth, um, also when we think about things like race. Uh, if we really understand diversity, diversity really, though, can be an iceberg, right? So you always see the tip of the iceberg, but it's really what lies underneath that gives us that richness of diversity. So I'll leave that there. And then I'll talk about inclusion. Um, I started by saying that I'm on the uh, Land Lakes Purina Animal Nutrition Center farm in Gray Summit as we speak. And when I joined here at this company and I joined in 2016, um, the hiring manager said to me, um, there's never been another individual here that looks like you. And if that's going to be a problem for you, do not take this job. But if that is not a problem for you, we would love to have you. So there during the interview, not only did I have a hiring manager who understood that diversity was not not really robust here on this this farm, but I also had a manager who understood the power of inclusion, the under understood the power of saying we want you here. We welcome you here. We would love to have you here. And that that really influenced my decision on whether or not I would come um, to work here, because the reality is the reality is that individuals who are underrepresented in the veterinary medical profession often have very different experiences when you're getting to remote, um, maybe geographically isolated areas and those experiences sometimes have led to psychological or even physical harm or psychological or physical threats. And I think that we have to be aware of the experiences of the individuals who get in those trucks and spend all those days and hours just looking out of the windshield and then getting to a farm. And we have to be honest with ourselves and understand that it is possible that individuals can literally not feel safe enough to be in the same location where our, our cows are that need our help. Yeah, and I'll Kim, thank you, Kim. But I'm going to add on to that too. You know, as we're talking about um, inclusion, and earlier we were talking about retention and keeping our team members um, because we know they're so valuable, right? We want them to stay on our team. Um, two things come to mind. One is inclusion. If, if we're measuring that in our workplaces. It's really that are we inclusive or not is defined by those that are underrepresented, right? If they feel accepted, if they feel like they belong, then the workplace is inclusive, right? And I think that's really important to think about how that sense of belonging and inclusion go together. Um, and then just to emphasize the importance of when we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and I know we're going to get more to equity in a moment, but we need to start with inclusion so when we're when we're wanting to create more diverse teams and, and think about that, we should really focus our energy on creating workplaces that are inclusive and, and to Kimba's point, safe, which is a big piece of that, so that the folks that we bring in will want to stay and they'll enjoy their work and they'll be able to thrive. Um, and that's why talking about recruitment without retention, you know, we can't do that in isolation and we can't talk about diversity without inclusion first. 
Yeah, Mia, and I, I'll just just add a, another comma um, and just say, especially when you talk about you know the recruitment piece, when we look at the number of uh, students who are in veterinary schools who say, I want to, you know, in that, say, year one through three, year one through four, go into food animal, uh, mixed animal, or bovine exclusive practice, then when you have those same individuals saying, hey, now it's time for me to look for a place of employment, it's time for me to look for a job, we really need to also sit with ourselves and understand why is it that we we have the data that shows that more and more of our graduates are going into um, small animal, you know, going into traditional dog and cat hospitals, as opposed to um, more and more veterinarians who are going into bovine practice. We have to understand those numbers and ask ourselves, what is it about the experience or what it is it, what is it about being a bovine practitioner that when you have individuals selecting, this is going to be, you know, how I spend my days in the profession would make them say, I'm going to opt out of or not choose to go into bovine exclusive practice. Yes, Kim, it just speaks to the value of collecting that demographic information, right? Yes, couldn't agree more. Those are some really great thoughts. And I, I think you've really answered, which was, um, you know, why does AABP, you know, an organization that is for veterinarians primarily interested in cat with a primary focus on continuing education, why do we need to ask these questions about diversity, equity, and inclusion? And from both of you, it's it's critically important to make sure that we are creating that sense of belonging for new graduates or, you know, veterinarians from going into practice in rural areas um, who really have a passion for bovine medicine. Are there any thoughts you want to add to that or... Um, any additional comments? Yeah, Jen, I, I would add one comment here is that, you know, when we think about organizations like AABP who are focused on continuing education, we have individuals asking, why is it that we not just focus on cows? My question, you know, would be back to the group to say, when have you ever seen a cow by itself book an appointment, pay you for services rendered, describe to you clinical signs? I mean, there is no time where you have cows that are not with and around people. It is people that say, hey, I've seen something. There's a drop in milk production. She seems lame. She's had this fever. It's people that say, you know, she's not eating well. She's off to herself. It is people that say, I feel like there's some mastitis or something that's going on. And as veterinarians, you know, our, our job is to, to talk with and understand from people what this, you know, what this milking cow normally does how her, her attitude normally is, and then understand from those people, how has her attitude or her back, her activity changed? And so you cannot separate cows from the people who, who are calling and asking for our expertise and calling and asking that we preside, provide services. And if we're going to be dealing with people, which we are, you know, we've got to really understand how to communicate, how to connect and how to realize that these are our customers and the things that are required to have a very healthy veterinary client-patient relationship. Understanding that it is about the people as much as it is about the animals. Um, and along with that, all of us kind of have our own unique identity that's really important to us and central to who we are. Um, it's, it's like an iceberg. You know, there's what people see externally but then there are so many other components to our identity that may not be outward, either our own identity or the identity of our loved ones. Um, and, you know, when we ignore someone's identity, not necessarily in a, um, a hurtful way, but just by, you know, not acknowledging or not wanting to gather some of those demographics, uh, um, is that counterproductive? To our work in trying to make veterinary medicine a more. So that's such an important question, and it's something that comes up a lot in conversation. And I'm sure we've all heard, um, and I'm sure I've said it myself, you know, at some point on my journey um, in, in better, um, better understanding and better learning is, are those things like, well, you know, I don't see color, or 
I treat everyone the same. Why are all these things um, even an issue? Why do we have to waste energy and time? But the reality is if we quote unquote, if we don't see color, then we also don't see the barriers that exist. And so those barriers are not being addressed. And if we treat everyone the same, it only, at the end of the day, we're only meeting the needs of the dominant group. And I just want to give a shout out to an excellent resource around this that I would encourage everybody to watch. And it's actually another podcast, but AAVNC produces a podcast. They usually do one or two episodes per month. And the host is Dr. Lisa Greenhill. But they recently, um, in early August, had an episode that was called Social Colorblindness. And it was just wonderful. And it's such an approachable, accessible way to go deeper on some of these topics. So I would encourage our listeners to um, take a look at that. And if you just Google AAVMC on YouTube, it'll come up. But it's the idea if we're if we're not appreciating the, the different um, ways that we are all, how, how we identify and all the different ways that have been discussed, then one, we're not understanding the barriers that may come with some of those identities, but we're also not, you know, embracing and celebrating those differences as well. So it's, it's both ends of that spectrum. Yeah, I would I would um, add to that, Mia, of course, um, just thank you for that insight. I think that's a really practical way to think about this. Um, I, you know, I would always come back to when we are going to clients, we are going to serve clients. And there's never a time that anyone has ever taught us that it's a way to the way to serve a client or the way to deliver customer value is to be offensive. Right. Because when, when you're having these conversations, when you're having dialogue, if you're offending someone, why would they call you back? You know, there's there's other veterinarians that can be called out. Even individuals may say, you know what, the, the experience has been such that I, I'm not going to seek veterinary care. We, we know that that is something um, that has also happened, you know, especially when it comes to livestock, especially when it comes to cows. So that, you know, when we're thinking about how are we treating individuals, if if we're knowingly or unknowingly offending individuals, we also have to think back to we're, we're in a profession where we are a customer facing profession. And if those customers are not coming to us, then that's going to have some business impacts, some significant downside business impacts as we go about our, our practice of our practice of veterinary medicine. You know, Kim, that um, statement about business impact just made me think of a recent statistic. I think it came out last year, but it just came across my desk and it was from Deloitte. And the statistic is that um, workplaces that are inclusive are eight times more likely to have better business outcomes than those that are not. And so it does come, it, it, you know, some of us is like, you know, come on, it's the right thing to do. And by the way, it really impacts the bottom line as well. I think you both hit on some very important pieces as to why it's so important to, to recognize and embrace everyone's um, unique identity. And um, one of the things that people sometimes struggle with is accepting different gender identities or members of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and so, Mia, I was hoping you could share with us some of the things that Pride VMC is doing in this space to help the LGBTQ plus community. I'd be happy to. Thank you, Jen. So there is a lot of really great work um, being done by Pride VNC, and we actually have a gender identity subgroup of our DEI working group, and that's led by Drs. Ewan Wolf and Jenna Ward. And one thing specifically, um, they created a gender identity bill of rights that really uh, lays out in a very simple, straightforward uh, form the basic human rights that um, those that identify as transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming should have access to. And if you read that document and absorb it, you can see in so many ways that it is very basic and it's a great educational piece. So I encourage everyone to check that out at pridebmc.org backslash G-I-B-O-R. So that's one specific tangible document that has a lot of great information and I'll say along with that, um, what Pride VMC is trying to do it and is make these conversations very personal, um, helping folks to understand we're just talking about common humanity, basic human rights, and it's really through one conversation at a, at a time. So Dr. Ewan Wolf identifies as non-binary. 
our immediate past president, Dr. Dane Whitaker, identifies as a transgender male. And they and many others within the organization are just so open to having conversations and, and being willing to at, answer questions. And as we start to see, you know, these are our fellow colleagues that are you know, trying to do good work and collaborate and do the best thing that they can for their clients and the animals that they serve, uh, we really start to move the needle on understanding. So I'd say it's one conversation at a time, and it's by providing resources that folks can use. And I'll mention one other resource, a gender diversity guide, and that's an implementation guide for the Bill of Rights that the subgroup is working on now that will be available um, probably late this year. Sounds like Pride VMC is really doing a lot in that space, and and you've listed off some really great um, resources to check out in that area. Um, so we've we've kind of talked about um, diversity and inclusion um, so far, and now I'd like to move on talking about equity and how is equity different from Jen? That is a that is a critical and uh, a central question. And so what I'm going to ask everyone to do who's listening to this podcast is imagine, you know, we've been called out, right? We've, we've got a, a, a cow out in the field and, and this owner happens to have a, a six foot wooden fence. And we've gone out and we need to look at her and we need to start kind of far back and see how she's doing and just watch her walking. And so when I think about that, um, I'm pretty tall. So I, I stand at, at five foot nine. So I could either get up on, uh, you know, get up on my tippy toes or I could, you know, kind of see how she's doing, you know, how she's walk, how she's walking, what, how is she presenting? If I had a colleague, someone with me who was say five feet tall, if that individual is five feet tall, it's going to be very difficult to stand over that fence. And then certainly if we have a child and that child is, is shorter, uh, younger, or even if we have an individual who utilizes a wheelchair as a mechanism of transport, it's, it's going to be near impossible to see over that fence. And so when we think about the, the equity in that, we, we have something that we're all trying to do, see this cow, and we have a barrier, and that barrier is going to be that fence. And so, um, you know, back to what Mia said earlier, if we simply treated everyone the same, treated everyone as equals, Let's say we said, you know what? We see this fence as a barrier. So what we're all going to do is we're going to stand on an old milk crate. And if we stand on the milk crate, we'll be able to get up a little higher. I'm already tall. So if I stand on that milk crate, I can see better. But I, I didn't have any problem seeing at first. If we had an individual who's standing next to me who's shorter or a child, that individual, even on that one milk crate, is unlikely to be able to see over that fence. And then our third individual who's utilizing a wheelchair as a mechanism of transport can do nothing with that box. And so it is possible that when we treat everyone as equal and give them the same thing, that can be offensive. Just think about that. If you have an individual who's utilizing a wheelchair as a means of transportation and you give them a box to stand on, that that's offensive. And so when we think about what's a better way to do this, when we think about the the equity, I probably didn't really need that milk crate. So if I gave my milk crate to the individual who was next to me and shorter, but able to stand on their own two legs, that individual now can get up higher and see over that fence. And the individual who's utilizing the wheelchair as a means of transportation should be given a ramp so that they actually can get up higher, have better perspective, see that animal and, and utilize something that really is going to be uh, something that allows them to accomplish the goal of looking over that fence. And so when we think about the difference of I treat everyone as equal, giving them all the same thing without regard for what their individual needs are. And if I contrast that with equity, if I look at the individual, if I, de- if I then identify what their needs are and meet their needs, it's, it's a vastly different experience. I thought that was a great way to bring it to something that all of us as bovine practitioners can relate to, um, you know, needing to be able to see that patient over the fence um, and be able to assess those needs for our client and our patient. Um, Mia, do you have anything to add? I, I was visualizing as Kimba was describing this scenario, and I think she just nailed it, right? And, it, and I do think 
it is so important to understand the difference in those two terms. So I'm so glad you added that to this conversation. And, um, you know, they're both good strategies in terms of equity and equality are strategies to help increase fairness. But the differences are so important because unless everyone's starting from the same starting point, then then just just relying on equality isn't going to solve the things we need to solve. So I thank Kimba for for making it real for us with those examples. That was awesome. Yeah, I agree with you, Mia. I was visualizing that as well. I could see the nice green pasture there, the cow out there. We were all trying to see over that fence. Yes, I want to be out there right now. It sounds wonderful. I know it does. Nice sunny day. Um, And so, you know, kind of kinds of of providing um, resources that can help equalize or help overcome very important piece to talk about is allyship. Um, What is an ally and how can allyship impact one's sense of belonging and practice? Uh, allyship, one of my favorite topics. I'm so glad that's part of our conversation today. So I'll, I'll start, but then I, I know Kimba has some uh, specific examples to add and share around this. But I, I think of what we just heard, right? The, sh- the sharing of the milk crates, that's allyship. And in terms of the definition of it, it's when someone from an overrepresented group or a non-marginalized group, and they use whatever privilege they may have to advocate from someone that is potentially from an underrepresented group. So again, it can look in, look so many different ways, but the example of the sharing of the milk crates is a great example. And it starts with self-education, right? So no matter where any of us are on our allyship journal journeys, it's about educating ourselves, right? Trying to figure out what we know, what we don't know. And there's so many good resources out there to help us with that. And, you know, this podcast today and the conversations that we're having are a piece of that. Um, and allyship is interesting to me because we can, at any given point of any given day, we can benefit from an ally and we can also be an ally to others. So I think it's such an important um, thing to keep in mind as we work our way through this crazy world that we're all living in. And Kimba, I think you had something to add to that, too. Yeah, I do. Thank you, Mia. And, and Mia just demonstrated another way to be an ally. Mia knows that right now she's got the microphone and she shared her opinions. And because we've talked about this before, Mia knows that I have something that I would like to add. And Mia is going to make space and say, I think Kemba would also like to add to this conversation. And so what I would like to add is when we're working with cows, we all know how important it is that we ourselves need to be calm so that our patients can also be calm. And if you're going to be calm and if you're going to be centered, you have to do that, number one, to use use all of your faculties to think about what is going on with this patient and what is the care that I can recommend or prescribe that's going to deliver the best outcome. If you're going to be able to focus on the patient, you cannot be thinking that you yourself are going to be harmed. You cannot be thinking that you yourself are in a dangerous situation. And it's so interesting because when we think about all of the things that we do, you know, in the life of a bovine practitioner, if we're going to AI, if we're going to do preg checks, if we're going to stand behind these cows in a shoot, we, we know that there are things that are happening that really put us up close and personal with these animals. And that sometimes you have got to watch yourself to make sure that you're going to be safe. I echo that same sentiment when we think about sending out individuals into areas where so often it's just the one veterinarian and then the client or the one veterinarian going to the farm or the one veterinarian going to the producer. And so just like I mentioned um, in my, my example earlier, for my manager to say that there's no one here on this farm who looks like you, and if that is going to be a problem, you should not take this job. That's that's awareness. That's allowing me to have choice. And then when my manager says, not only would we love to have you here, but why don't you come to my house for dinner tonight? That's that's the thing that that makes it for me um, more likely that I'm going to feel safe and that I'm going to feel included. And so when we think about that piece around allyship, it's so important that, number one, we understand 
we're administering care to animals and those animals can pick up on our energy. If we're anxious, we may cause those animals to be anxious. If other team members are anxious, you know, we're going to have some different outcomes with those animals. Um, And it also means that if we're going to provide the best care that we can, you have to make sure that you're safe. You know, it, it goes back to, you know, for those of us who are on airplanes, you know, you always put on your oxygen mask before you go to help others. And so when we think about what we're doing with these large animals, right, that that safety, that care, um, delivering those best patient outcomes can only start when we ourselves feel safe and secure. And that when we ourselves see other individuals act as allies, acting as an ally, as an ally can be something as simple as saying to someone when there's an inappropriate joke, an inappropriate comment, I don't find that funny, that's in poor taste, we don't use that type of language around here. Um, allyship, though, can also be um, making sure that if you if you have a situation where you're not sure how, especially a newer associate is going to be received, perhaps there are times where the owner or the senior veterinarian needs to do those farm calls with the, the newer veterinarian, the newer associate, so that we can all be sure that this is going to be a safe environment. And I think um, that really ties in nicely and and maybe even answers the next question I had here um, related to how we can be an ally and some tips for practice owners to be more inclusive to both employees and clients. Um, Because it's, you know, it's not identifies as part of an underrepresented group in veterinary medicine. There's, There's additional work to be done there to help that new associate feel comfortable, feel safe and feel included in the practice. Are there any other tips that you'd like to add um, to what you've already shared? So there, there are just a couple things that I would add. Um, one specifically is, you know, thinking about the, the client materials that you may have on hand. Um, do you offer those in any languages other than English? And just to even think about it is a first step, right? So, so often we just, you know, we have what we have and we don't think about, well, you know, what are the other languages? What are the other visual aids that aids that may be helpful depending on the clients that I'm going to be serving. So that's one specific thing that comes to mind. I'll also um, share, and if Fred and Jen, you want to put this in the show notes after so folks can access it, I have a, a bit of a workplace assessment, and it's not all-inclusive because it doesn't cover every scenario, but it has a list of, I think, 17 questions that you can ask yourself about your workplace. And if you end up with a lot of like, well, no, I don't have these things in my workplace, it provides a roadmap of where you can go to try to make your workplace more inclusive. And just like everything we do in veterinary medicine, it's not a one and done, right? It's every day you're thinking about it and how how we can become more and more inclusive. But I'm happy to share that if it, if it would be helpful. That would be great. And, you know, I think your point, Mia, about looking at types of materials we're providing for our clients is really important, especially in bovine practice, where a lot of the farm employees that we're working with on um, English may not be their first language. Um, And so providing things in, you know, a a variety of languages or a variety of, um, of, outlines to fit different learning styles. Um, You know, those are all small things that we can do to increase inclusivity in our practices. So um, thank you both for your your tips there. And I think those are are really helpful for practice owners. Uh, The next thing I'd like to um, ask you both about is mentorship. So, you know, if we're trying increase the diversity of our profession, it really starts with those incoming students that I mentioned earlier, those those future colleagues of ours. And uh, mentorship is such a critical component of getting individuals interested in veterinary medicine early, and especially providing mentorship um, for those from underrepresented groups to create a sense of belonging early on for them. So um, along those lines, who can be a mentor? And, you know, what are some tips for mentoring um, individuals into veterinary medicine to try to encourage them to, to stay in our in the profession? Yeah, Jen, I'll take that one first. And so I'll, I'll hearken back to um, one of the first conversations that the uh, joint AVMA, AAVMC DEI commission had. And Fred and I were on the call with a lot of other people. And we were just sharing about, you know, what our experiences had been 
um, getting ready to go to vet school and and what if any barriers we had faced. And as we were sharing, you know, I'll never forget that when when we were uh, all just kind of on our Zoom call, you know, Fred stood back and, you know, he was like, you know what, I didn't I didn't face any obstacles. And I think that was so important. Number one, because it showed a lot of self self-awareness, but then two, a lot of empathy for individuals on that Zoom call who had a different experience. So when we think about mentorship, mentorship is as easy as understanding when you're preg checking, the better you you are at preg checking, it is just time after time after time that you've done it, right? Mentorship is the same way because there are so many things that are happening now on social media. There are so many things that are happening in terms of how are we marketing practices, how are we advertising our services to clients that are happening on um, these uh, web-based platforms where our younger associates are just, they're digital natives, meaning they've always been in this digital space and it is what they do. It is second nature to them. It's as easy as you and I, you know, breathing in and breathing out. And so when we think about that, you know, if we have associates coming in and those associates need more practice, right? Literally just more time behind that cow, just doing those palpations over and over again, then that two-way mentorship is also, how do you have conversations with individuals to ask them, what things do you enjoy? What are your hobbies? What things are you good at? Even, you know, outside of a, a traditional veterinary practice and learning how we can we can share, we can exchange those experiences where I can strengthen my skills in one area with is, this individual's help. And by the same token, they can strengthen their skills in a se- separate area uh, with my help. And so anyone, anyone can be a mentor because no matter who you meet, there's always someone who knows something more about a topic that you know less about, and you're going to always know more about a topic than someone else knows less about. So that mentorship, um, anyone can do it, right? You should always do it. And then you should always approach it with um, that reverse mentorship in mind, right? So that when you go with that, that growth mindset, that you say, I'm going to learn something new. I'm going to discover something. You're going to you're going to have a different way that you approach that mentorship versus having a closed mindset. Right. Where you're you're worried and this person is going to take something from me or this person, you know, isn't going to bring as much that I've as I have to this conversation. So I think that when you approach it with a growth mindset and really have that that lifelong learner, that curiosity, again, that our veterinary oath harkens us back to, right? Because it says that we are going to accept as a lifelong obligation, the continual improvement of our professional knowledge and competence. When you accept that lifelong learning role, you really dive into that reverse mentorship and say every individual that you meet has the opportunity to teach you something that you may not know today. Ah. Kimba, I love all of that. And it makes me think of, you know, were you saying at any point we can be a mentor or benefit from a mentor? It really aligns with allyship, right? At any, you know, at any point you could be an ally and then the very next conversation, all of a sudden you're benefiting from an ally. There's just so much similarities in those two approaches. Um, And I also wanted to mention um, possibilities um, even though it is PAW is in the name, it's really for all species group and for all folks that are wanting to get into vet med and all the different ways that we can embrace this profession. But it's a mentoring program that actually was launched out of a, a hackathon at University of Georgia several years ago. And it's led by Dr. Valerie Marcano and Dr. Seth Andrews. And it's just, it's free. Anyone can join it. Anyone can take part either as a mentor or mentee or both. And I just encourage folks to check that out if you have not been exposed to it. So because they also not only have a lot of mentoring um, programs and resources, but they also provide a lot of events that would help um, deepen understanding around some of the things we've been talking about today. Great comments from both of you on mentorship. And I think full circle from one of our earlier questions related to as an organization focused on cattle and continuing education why is learning about diversity and inclusion important for the membership of AABP? And Kemba, I think you said it perfectly when you talked about lifelong learning and just looking for opportunities to learn more about ourselves and others and better ourselves as professionals. So um, I want to thank both of you so much for your comments and contributions to the podcast today. And, um, and I'll turn Thanks, Jen, and thanks, everybody. Um, 
great comments from everyone. Uh, mentorship and allyship are so important for us to welcome uh, everyone into the veterinary medical profession, and especially those future cow doctors uh, that we need in our segment of the profession. So, um, uh, Kemba, I'm going to go to you, and, and maybe you could talk a little bit about, since you're serving on the AVMA, AAVMC Commission on DEI, maybe talk a little bit about uh, what is AVMA doing in this space and where do you see it going into the future? Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to answer that. So I am delighted, delighted to share that the AVMA has hired a chief diversity officer. Her name is Dr. LaTanya Craig. She's wonderful. She joins from uh, Purdue University, has a lot of rich experience uh, in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. And, you know, I think that Dr. LaTanya Craig joining AVMA is a direct output from conversations that we had um, on that AVMA, AABMC commission. The other thing, um, for those of us who were uh, there in Philadelphia at the convention, uh, Journey for Teams, Journey for Teams, Journey for Teams. It's a very rich, relevant resource. It's, you know, designed to be delivered in bite sizes. We all know how busy folks are, and we know that, you know, you may not always have time to really dedicate you know, a solid hour uh, to that diversity, equity, and inclusion learning. But Journey for Teams is another resource that I would hold up and say, these are these are our North Stars. These are things that we're going towards as a profession. Yeah, great. And we're going to link a lot of these things that we talked about in our show notes. Uh, Journey for Teams is, is, has been developed for practices uh, to help uh, you as, as a practice owner uh, incorporate some of these uh, um, topics into your practice uh, to improve uh, your practice uh, in this space. And Mia, uh, how about the Pride VMC? Where, where do we see, what do we see for future plans for Pride VMC? Thank you, Fred. I'm so glad Kimba brought up Journey for Teams. I'm so excited about that resource. And actually several Pride VMC board members have been tapped to provide content for that. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I also want to mention the uh, we have launching later this year an LGBTQ plus friendly vet and vet tech directory. So that will be available to everyone on pridevmc.org, the website. And then also I briefly mentioned earlier the gender diversity guide that will be launch- launching and also available to the entire profession. So lots of good things coming from Pride BMC. And next year is Pride BMC's 30th anniversary. So also some fun celebrations coming. And and I want to just mention that note of celebration, because when we first sometimes think about DEI, it can sound heavy, right? And like, oh, my gosh, we're going to have a DEI conversation. Oh, it's going to be heavy. But there's so much potential and so many resources and so many ways that we can collaborate around this that I hope folks listening today feel excited about what's to come and the, the pathway that we all have to become even better yet in terms of inclusion, diversity, equity, allyship, all the things that we've been talking about. And they're really red threads, just like leadership and communication that we need to be focusing on as we continue to grow. So I just wanted to mention that as well in some of the closing comments. Thank you, Fred. You bet. And I am a proud member of the Pride VMC. And Woo-hoo! if you are an ally, uh, I would encourage you to, to join that organization and, and see the work that they are doing. So uh, um, we'll, we'll have a link to their website uh, in our show notes as well. And, and Jen, uh, as we close out here, before I give some uh, uh, follow-up comments, tell us a little bit about uh, what's going to happen at the conference with the AABP DEI Task Force, please. Sure. Thanks, Brett. So the DEI task force has been hard at work um, meeting monthly um, since we were uh, started about a year and a half. And we've got some really exciting things to share that are coming up at the conference. So the first thing is the keynote star Hodges. He's the star of Nat Geo Wild's Critter Fixers Country Vets show. And he's is from dirt road to DVM, building the perfect, in quotes, uh, veterinary practice. And Dr. Hodges is going to share some of the the challenges that he's encountered and some of the things that he's overcome on his journey um, as a Black veterinarian and practice owner. And so we're really excited to have him as part of the conference here. Um, 
We are also going to be, uh, so his keynote will be on Thursday, September 22nd at 1045. And um, after that, we'll be having an open lunch for anyone who would like to continue the conversation about equity and inclusion. Um, you can grab your lunch in the exhibit hall, your bovine bucks lunch, and we'll have a room one level up from the exhibit hall. Just going to get together and have an informal um, chat for anyone who would like to continue the conversation. And lastly, show notes as well, but there is an area of the AABP website where the DEI task force has gathered some resources related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, informational resources, some of the allied organizations that have been mentioned during this podcast, um, like Pride VMC. And, um, and some of the links of the um, data that's been gathered by AAVMC. So, um, yeah, that's what we've been doing as a, a task force. We're really excited to see everyone at the, the conference this year. And you may see some of the task force members around Long Beach. We'll be um, wearing pins on our, they ask me about DEI. So if you see one of us, feel free to, to come up and engage us in conversation. Thanks so much for those comments, Jen. And thank you to Mia and Kemba for joining us on this conversation today about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And some of the things that our DEI task force is doing in this space, and that includes, as Jen mentioned, our keynote speaker, Dr. Bernard Hodges. I'm very excited to hear him speak. He's a very energetic, uh, great speaker, and I think that he'll bring some important messages to our organization as a mixed animal rural veterinarian. And uh, I also want to encourage everyone that is interested in continuing the conversation to have their lunch upstairs in room 104 following Dr. Hodge's keynote address. And, and Jen will be leading that conversation on Saturday in Long Beach at the conference. I want to thank you again for joining us today. I want to thank our members and our listeners to this podcast, and I want to wish you all a great day. Thank you so much.